All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. Super special week this week. We've got Aaron Snyder on as a guest for anyone who's been living under a rock. Um, he's the CEO of Kafaru, also one of the co-founders of Rockslide, um, and more recently, Trad Jesus, um, and kind of has a, a laundry list of accomplishments that we don't need to really get into here. But thanks a lot for taking the time to come on, Aaron. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, no, no problem. It worked good. I, I almost actually, I, I told my wife, there's a good, my memory is 20 minutes ago. I got a podcast at four and then like three minutes ago, I was like, Hey honey, do you want me to build your arrows? And she's <laughs> like, a podcast. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. I got a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire, but, but I'm glad I could hop on and kind of a slow day today. So. Well, and I think one of the irons in the fire before we actually get into anything, cause I don't want to forget to bring this up. Being a Canadian, there's some pretty huge Canadian Kafaru news um, and Omer's such a rad guy. I don't think I'd be doing him justice if I didn't bring this up on the podcast. So do you want to share kind of for us Canadians, what kind of launched this week? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Omer who owns, uh, Aroma Foods and also Precision Six in Quinnell, uh, he'd been a friend of mine for many years. Uh, he, our, um, retail for Kafaru International in Canada, uh, that got kicked off. Yeah, about a week ago or this week, um, I haven't. We did a podcast with him um, a few days ago, maybe last week. But yeah, Omer's an awesome guy. I've known him forever, and uh, I couldn't ask for a better person to, um, you know, to, to have. So, what's the deal? Are we going like bags and frames first, and then we'll start carrying a little bit more of the other stuff? Like, what could people look forward to getting access to right now? Yeah, um, yeah. So he's got. I think all he we, uh, he did Ranger Green. That's our biggest, co- uh, you know, biggest color as far as sales go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he carries um, pretty much all of our bags uh, that go attached to a frame. Uh, the twenty four and the twenty six duplex light frames. I think he's got some tactical. But yeah, as time goes on, he's definitely gonna you know expand and carry more and more. So awesome. Uh, yeah, so anybody who's in Canada and BC specifically, um, that's really big news, especially pre-COVID, man, I used to get like, I'd say I really only got dinged for duty on like every third or fourth package. And for stuff like coming in from Kafaru, I would just get it delivered to my post office box over in Blaine. I'd rip over the border and the guards, the the, the border guys get to know you. And then finally, you know, you just tell me, bring you back hunting shit. Nine times out of 10, they tell you to just be on your way. Um, but ever since COVID happened, every single package that gets shipped over, I'm getting like dinged max duty after all the initial shipping charges. And when you start ordering things like tents from Hilleberg and packs from Kafaru, like you're looking at two, $300 bills after you get all the shit here. Yeah. Which is weird because you're not technically, and I don't know how it all works, but since we're very compliant you guys aren't supposed to get dinged like you are for Hilleberg. And I know when Clay and I ordered the Hillebergs for, for, you know, for Nahani Butte and NWC Outfitters, um, I was, uh, for lack of a better word, startled when we went down and paid duty for Hilleberg tents. I about shit my hand and wiped it in my hair. I was like, are you kidding me? My God, it was expensive. Yeah, I just got a NIAC and I had to order it from Moose Jaw, I think, because... Those things are like gold these days, man. Like nobody's got hillies in stock. And after it showed up, and I think that's the difference because I got dinged almost $300. And I think that's actually duty. And when I bring Kafaru stuff home, they don't charge me duty 
They're just charging me the taxes that I would have paid on this end, which are, which can be up to an additional 12%. So if you're bringing home a thousand bucks worth of stuff, it's another 120 bucks, which also is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to dig in to your background a little bit because I mean, you do not possess the drive and the discipline of a, of a regular human being. And even, even if we take out the hunting accomplishments and the kind of discipline that it takes, especially with the trad bow to be able to do what you've done, even just on a career path for a guy who started from nothing and now, you know, the CEO of an extremely successful, I don't even know, you guys got to be doing triple digit growth every year for the last five years. Like it's out of control. Where do you know where that came from? Like, can you, can you look back and see like when that started to develop for you and you had that ability to like pick a goal and stay committed to it where, you know, most other people don't. Uh, I'd probably have to ask a psychologist, but I would say (laughs) the, the root of it. My wife is sitting here listening in. I would say probably daddy issues to begin with. Um, my dad was a, can I cuss on here? Oh yeah. Fucking a. Yeah. Fucking asshole. Um, and beat the shit out of me and never really showed like a lot, you know, I was a good athlete and, and, uh, never really showed like interest in that. And so I would assume probably subconsciously, um, you know, always trying to, uh, prove, you know what I mean? Like prove myself or do better, which then got to a point where I didn't really obviously, you know, left or whatever, joined the army, left at a young age from home. And I think that continued through because I found out, you know, quickly from at a young age, probably trying to impress my dad subconsciously, uh, to where he would show maybe like, you know, get a good job out of him or whatever Yeah, that I probably would say that transferred over to, I learned the harder you work, the more you get, um, out of something, meaning, you know, well, obviously that meaning is very simple, but you know, if you, if you really, you know, stick, I like, I'm never going to be able to like, you know, dunk a basketball like Jordan. Right. But in reality, if, if your heart is in the right place and your work ethic and your desire, whether it be photography, and let's, you know, face I'm kind of a knuckle dragger, but I picked up photography from YouTube and asking a few questions, uh, fly fishing, you know, obviously archery, the stick bow. I don't think that, um, uh, how would I say this and not come off sound like a dick, but I would say that people will, I, and I hear people say it about me and others, or he's lucky, or, oh, I wish I got to hunt that much, or, oh, you know, what he gets to shoot all the mm-hmm. time. I, I think what they leave out is, is the sacrifice to get to the position or the work it takes to get to, to shooting. And obviously now I do have an unbelievable schedule. Um, but I lived, you know, slept on an air mattress in a one bedroom apartment for most of my adult life to sacrifice to get to the point where I had a really cool schedule. I think people forget that part and then just say, well, he's lucky. Eh, there's a lot of fucking hard work that came with that luck, right? There was a lot of sacrifice. I just got my first new vehicle ever at 44 years old, right? I'd always right. bought shit old or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifice involved. And then, you know, the luck comes later uh, <laughs> after all the sacrifice. So kind of a long-winded answer, but I would say that, uh, you know, once you learn that, you know, the longer you spend in the gym, I think you just put on a ton of math, right? Yeah. Were you lucky? Yeah, exactly. No. 
you try eating, you know, six meals and, you know, close to six pounds of food a day between chicken and rice. It's that's not luck. So when it does a disservice to you and say, ah, you're lucky you get to go to the gym all the time. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of people who go to the gym. None of them stack on 50 pounds, right? Like that takes a lot more effort than just doing a little push-ups and sit-ups, right? Yeah. No. And that's, I mean, I, it wasn't really a leading question, but just from my own experience, like I kind of figured that's, you know, where the source of it all kind of came from. And that's my experience, man. You got to go through some shit in order to develop that. You know, my mother always said I was well balanced because I had a chip on each shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and it was like, so I can, I can really relate to that now in, in follow up to that. And then I'll give some context for this. Do you think, and when I say kid, I'm talking like 10 or 12 years old. Would you describe yourself as a confident child or, or not so much? Not so much, probably at 10 or 12. I was kind of a fat kid. And, um, you know, when I say kind of a fat kid, I was chubby and probably not, you know, overly confident. And that kind of goes along the lines with, I think, being fit breeds confidence, um, you know, confidence in yourself, confidence in your physical ability, which can be mistaken for arrogance. And yep. I think as a young kid, I probably lacked that. As I got older, I learned that, you know what? If I just crush it and train my ass off, I have something to be proud of and something to be confident in. So I, I kind of at a young age was probably lacking and then it grew later. Yeah. And can you see like a correlation between when you started to basically accomplish things or put your, put your back against the wall? where you were in a situation where you had to accomplish something or there'd be some consequences like on a backcountry hunt or joining the military or, or even just, you know, going to the woods by yourself for the first time. Can you see a correlation between being able to finish those types of things and that, that confidence in yourself and you turning into like who you actually are today? Yeah, definitely. I would say the first was, was real early in a very simple, simple thing. Um, you know how in, in football or basketball you'll run to the 10-yard line and back, 20 and back, 30 or whatever, 20, 30, however you do it, you know, to the 100 and back? Yep, yep. we call them wind sprints here. I don't know what they call them yep. in the States. It's a wind sprint, but that like that one's the, the you know, the soul crusher because, you know, yep. if you're doing 10 back. I remember my coach, my uh, football coach Perkins, um, I remember running those, and uh, this isn't like a highlighter. There was a race or anything, but we were all – uh, you know, the whole team was running those. And, and in my group, I was pretty fast as a big guy. And I remember I, I had beat, uh, you know, everyone that should have technically beat me at six one and 230 pounds. I had lots of skinny guys. And I remember him screaming at the rest of the team, um, mm, you know, biggest guy on the team or one of the biggest guys and screaming and yelling basically like it takes, you know, heart or determination, which, at that time, I just didn't want to get you fucking yelled at anymore, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I die. And then he would always say, you know, we'll pop a couple pills. Even if you die, you'll be fine. Just give it all you got. And that really started to hit home for me of, okay, I'm not going to die. It is just pain. And not to make this a fucking Nike sales pitch or Reebok or some gay shit like that, but you, you, you're you not going to die running probably, right? Like yes. <laughs> there's a better chance of getting a, So if you are climbing a mountain, what is the very worst happens? You know, you're going to maybe get some blisters, right? You're going to be winded. 
but for fuck's sake, we, we've chosen to be out there. I chose to play football. I chose to join the army. And if you look at it, ah, it's just exercise, you know, pain goes away. And it's very easy to read that on a magazine It's or, or a, a, you know, a poster. It's very difficult to get a mindset of, man, we got 18 miles to go, but eh, fuck it, we're not going to die. That's kind of the mentality my football coach gave me of, look, you do all you you can. Give it all you've got. You're going to end up on top one way or another. It may take longer. You know, you may have to work harder. But if you give everything you have, you're going to be okay. And you're not going to die. You're not going to get anything negative out of it. Other than maybe, you know, a few bumps and bruises. But, you know, and then that transferred obviously through, uh, you know, it's in the Army for a while. And obviously you learn that same thing real quick. And then on backpack hunt, I think what I learned most was, um, you know, that, the skill set, not just the, the desire, right? The desire is there, but also bringing alongside your skill set with field craft to there's a point within reason, no matter what happens, there's no distance too far, no mountain too high, no conditions that you can't, you know, pull yourself through with your own physical ability and knowledge uh, that, that should scare you. You know, no matter how heavy the pack load, take your time, you'll be fine within reason. No matter how bad the weather, use common sense and your field craft or, or whatever you want, survival skills and your gear you have. And again, if you're worried about going on a mule deer stock because it might blow out, you walked over there for no reason, you probably shouldn't be hunting high country mule deer. You know, so those kind of things, getting that mentality of, yep, I might be a fat fucker. I'm just going to keep working at it. And eventually I'm going to be fit. Yep, that might be a long way, but I'm going to get some exercise out of it, and tonight I'm going to sleep better. Like, keeping that positive attitude and that drive, it took me a while, but once I got that mental mindset, it was a real big game changer. And, you know, it started when I was young, and, I mean, I'm still developing it today. Yeah, this this really lands for me as well. I think there's these magical moments and I always describe it like this, like self-confidence or self-esteem comes from accomplishing things that we thought we were incapable of because choice is removed. You know, and I, I like backpack hunting because it's a great example. I used to compete in jujitsu, other things where you're forced into situations where choice is removed. You know, like football doing wind sprints. Everybody's looking at you. You can't fail. You're pretty sure you're going to fail, but fuck it. You're going to keep doing it anyways. And you have this like, imaginary ceiling of limitations. Like, this is what I think I'm capable of. And then once you blow through that a couple of times, like it only takes two or three times and then you kind of clue in that like that, that whole limit thing is just in my head. And that no matter how far the walk is, like you say, as long as you just take it one step at a time, no matter how heavy the pack is, like I will get to the end because I've always got to the end before. So it seems highly unlikely that I'm not going to get to the end this time. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I definitely get at times, which rightfully so, probably accused of being a bit of a dick. And, you know, people that know me are like, the only people that say that are people that don't know you. Because I'm a, a very giving person. And I think where that comes from is stories of, let's say, if you and I went hunting together. And Clay Lancaster, you've had him on the podcast. Yeah. He is the exact way as I am. Um you know, somebody's hunched over and whining. It's like, dude, rub some fucking dirt in your crotch and get the fuck up. This isn't the end of the world. Yep. Out of my mouth, right? But that's the truth, right? I mean, it's like, hey, you can sit there and piss and moan and whine and pity, 
Or you can get up, go build a fire, eat some food, and enjoy the fact you're in the outdoors and you're not fucking dead. And I definitely am blunt like that at times. And, and I've had guys call me Blake Hunter, super good friend. Dude, I wounded a buck. I, I'm going back to the compound. And I'm like, bro, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Like, toughen the fuck up, buck up, eyes forward, walk straight, you'll be fine. And he needed to hear that. And it, and it, yeah. But it's hard for people. And, you know, probably because I've had a lot of people around me treat me that way that, that I wanted and needed. And I've kind of transferred that. And I don't mean to be an ass, but it's like, okay, somebody comes in and, you know, um, there was 1,400 in your area. We all complain about that. And it's like, yep, I get it, you know. Well, I came out early. It's like, you did what? Oh, there's just too many people. I'm like, you came home? I'm like, Jesus Christ almighty, there's fucking 17 wildernesses in Colorado or whatever. Like, there's other places to go. You can hike farther. You can outlast them. It doesn't always pan out, but it's certainly better than being at fucking work. Yep. And, and I think people have that mentality. And, and it, you know, I get it. And I definitely get accused of being you know, overly confident or, or arrogant, but I think most of it is like, Hey, if I keep this attitude of, you know, the never say die kind of stay after it attitude, you know, it'll generally pan out in the long run if you put your mind to it. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Um, and we can, we're going to, I got some questions on this a little bit later on, but I think the mental game, like everybody focuses on the physical game because I think it's fun and it's rewarding. Like you work out, you get fit, you feel good about yourself. But I think that mental gain, that no quit is not only is it more important, it's harder to work on. I think it plays a larger role in success, both professionally and out in the field. And I think everybody gets focused on the whole fitness thing because it gets likes on Instagram and it's sexy and it's, you know, it's, it's more attractive. But like, in my opinion, the real secret is that mental game. Like, how are you going to conquer your own mind? Because that's the thing that's going to fuck you in the end. Like, everybody wants to know what boots to take, what tent to take. And it's like, you can get away with some pretty cheap boots in a tent in, in, in pretty rough circumstances if you have to, but it's your head fucking you over. That's going to convince you to go home before you really need to go home. That's what's really going to take 95% of people out of the game. Yeah, I would agree. You know, and I explain this when I do seminars, the gear doesn't put the animal down or keep you on the mountain. It just keeps you more comfortable while you're there. Yeah, for sure. If you can handle a little bit of pain, which is why you're poor when you're young, usually, right? you can take pain when you're young. When you get older, you don't want to go through that shit as much, so you hopefully made some more money and have nicer gear. Yeah. But you can do some amazing things with lesser gear, you know, and as time goes along, you bridge up and get better gear, and it just makes it more comfortable. But I, I think that um, what you said is 100% true. Fitness is great. You always want to stay fit, you know, and great gear is great. Get the best gear that you can get. But mental toughness and, and uh, common sense, field craft, so, you know, what's between your head is, is really going to, you know, carry you through the day, not what's in your pack. 100%. So I've heard the stories, you know, working construction, doing glass, living on the air mattress, you know, hunting as many days a year as you, as you possibly could taking Kaylee out with you when you had her. Cause that was, it was just how it was done. What I'm curious about, like from the beginning, did you have like a long-term game? Did you like, I'm going to make a space for myself in this industry or was it just, 
was it a little bit more organic? You just knew that's what you liked doing and opportunities just kind of arose because you kept putting yourself in the right place at the right time. De- definitely uh, the latter. It was definitely the, um, I didn't, all I knew is I wanted to hunt and live in the woods. Like when I say live in the woods, I wanted to be in the wilderness as much as I possibly could. And on black rifle coffee podcast, he asked me the same thing. And I was like, you know what? All I wanted to do, my only goal was to hunt as much and hike and fish as much as I humanly was humanly possible and financially possible. And everything else just became, was an ancillary benefit. Like I had no plan of, in fact, my wife laughed when we first met um, in 2007 to when we got back together in 2016. She was literally like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Because I didn't computer or an email. I had a flip phone. I, I wasn't, I was introverted to, you know, we're walking around in Walmart and people are wanting to shake my hand and take a selfie. And, right. Uh, or, or, or I'm wired in all the time answering questions. The, the thing is, is um, do, do I... I like helping people. Am I good? And I mean, there's a reason I don't go to shows, right? Um, right. You know, I'm greatest at striking up conversations with tons of people. And I'm just, it's just, you know, my, my, my nature, my, my personality, I'm not as extroverted as I probably should be. But you know, when you start out just wanting to go hunting and just wanting to live in the woods and everything else kind of becomes, you know, it just happens to, like I said, an ancillary benefit or what, I don't even know if that's the right word I should be saying, but you know, it, it's a little bit, I didn't, Hey, you know what? One day I'm going to own a backpack company. Right. Fuck. I never thought a backpack company or one day I'll start a, you know, a forum, uh, you know, an outdoor forum so I can, you know, teach people how to backpack hunt. Yeah. None of that shit was on the radar. The only thing on the radar was hunt until I legs fall off. Uh, that was it. I love it, man. Okay, so this kind of is a great segue to the next question. You had a lot of partners in the outdoor industry, and you worked for some other companies pre-Kafaru. How did you know, and I know when you started working there, you weren't even getting paid, you were just testing packs. Um, how did you know that Kafaru and Patrick was the one? Did you like? It's almost like a relationship. Was there a moment when you're like, yeah, this is where I'm going to plant my flag? I wouldn't say, so it's kind of weird. Um, when the when I first so keep in mind Kafara was in my hometown and it was the last literally backpack I tested back in the day. Okay. And Kafaru, uh, they were hard to get a hold of. Their website was shitty at best. Um, <laughs> you know, they had one customer service lady who still works for me to this day. Angie, I love her to death. She's the one with kind of the squeaky. Kafaru, you know, she when she was thirty, she sounded like she was fifty. Right. She didn't have any backpacking experience. She was just a sweetheart and ran the front desk. Um, Patrick, I met with him and cool dude, loved to spend, you know, say kind of, you know, same thing, two, 300 days a year in the field. Gave me a backpack to try it out and let me know. Now, at that time, I didn't say, you know, this is the pack, but about seven miles in, uh, in the first day of a, a multi day, you know, scouting trip, I was like, okay, this, this one's one, the, 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 this is the best. Right. This one is by far for me the most comfortable, you know, pack. Um, the bags I didn't like as much. And so when I came back and kind of gave them my feedback, obviously this is a very short version of the story. You know, one thing led to another and he was like, you know, we kind of grew on each other and he wanted more feedback. 
And I was like, yeah, man, I, I think we should do this, this, and this and make a new bag or, or whatever. Um, and that kind of just developed. I just knew from wearing his pack that that was the, the pack for me. As far as like the working form portion, that just kind of developed over time. But, but, but the comfort and the, the actual pack itself was pretty much immediate. Okay. So something else I'm interested in. So I'm, I'm a business consultant by trade. So I talk a lot about competitive advantage with clients and stuff. And I think one of the parts of the secret sauce to Kafaru is your insane availability. Like you are probably one of the most easy to get a hold of. Like I remember the first time I phoned you was almost four years ago and it was actually to get instructions on how to make your, uh, the dehydrated, uh, stew and shit with like the olive oil and, and I was all proud of myself, like bragging, like, yeah, I talked to Aaron Snyder on the phone and everybody's like, well, yeah, you just have to ask him for his fucking number. It's it's not like it's a big deal. So I'm curious was that like a clear cut marketing strategy or is just this just, and it's a contrast to me. Like there's a conflict there because you are an introverted guy and an introverted guy does not go out of his way to be that available to people. It literally was as simple as I knew when I went through trying to get info on gear from other companies. I knew what I went through, um, calling a customer service or support, talking to somebody that was literally reading the product specs to me. Right. It's like, well, fuck, I can read the specs to myself, bro. Like I'm asking for more than that To When I started doing that, I wanted people to um, be able to have a person they could get a hold of with some field experience and some, some knowledge to shorten their learning curve. Um, and then it just kind of sprouted from there. I mean, to this day, uh, you know, obviously I give my number out to people I don't know who they are um, to help them out and not just with Kafaru, with, with anything. And, you know, I there are times where a guy on the 17th phone call that's running a competitor's pack that's never even tried out. Right. I will be like, you know, bro, you're kind of abusing this. Yeah. Like, really? And, and I, I, I try not to be a dick, but I will say, and my wife would probably agree, eight o'clock when I haven't eaten in a few hours and I only got four hours of sleep. I am probably not as pleasant uh, as I would be if you called like, okay, so you run this shelter and you run this pack and you run these boots and you run all of these are technically people I don't support. And you have no problem calling me at eight 30 at night on a fucking Saturday asking me what cookware to get for your backpack hunt. It's like, dude, yeah, this, this is going to probably have to stop. You are pushing my niceness, you know, like, good yeah. Lord. Is there, obviously, I don't mind helping anyone, whether they, you know, whether our, where our packs are not to a point, but there's a certain point. It's like, you know what? Why don't you call the owner of the pack company you're wearing and see if he'll answer the phone on a Saturday at nine o'clock? Because I certainly will. And you haven't done fucking shit for me. And, and again, that's after a certain period of time. But for the most part, I mean, I answer questions fuck from headlamps all the way down to insoles, footwear, pants. I mean, it doesn't matter. I try to help as many people as I can. Um, and I think that's just from maybe figuring all this out on my own and not having as much help as I wish that maybe I, I would have had or, or could have had. I mean, dude, it, it is a textbook deliver value first, capture value second. Like when I look at Kafaru, between the Kafaru cast, between the Q and A's on your Instagram, between your availability phone it's like the the 
the first intent is not how do we get as much money or sell as much product as possible. The intent is how do we help people as much as possible? And through that, people just happen to want to buy our shit. And that creates this like virtuous loop of like you delivering value and growing a team now that is capable of delivering value as well. And then that turns into this reciprocity effect where people then, you know, want to buy gear because they feel, I don't even want to say like a sense of ownership or belonging, but you do it, it you do feel different with Kafaru as a brand than other brands. Like it's not an us and them thing. Like the amount of like, even just the quality of customer service. I can remember being in Arizona on an archery mule deer hunt, and I just happened to notice that one of my belt tabs was ripping on my pat, on my on my belt, on my hip belt. Um, and just texted Frank. I'm like, hey man, I don't know if this is covered by warranty or anything. Should I fix this? What should I do? And like 20 minutes later, I think I had a shipping label. And it was like, no questions asked. It was just, yeah, we'll just send you a new belt. Don't even worry about it. Um, and I don't know, you, there's not too many places around these days where you get that kind of, that kind of trust with your clients and service and, and value like you guys do with Kafaru. So I felt like it was pretty organic process, but it's, a, it, it really is a successful strategy. And I think it's what's at the heart, like product of quality aside, uh, in my opinion, you guys make the best backpacks on the market. And I don't get paid to say that. And I think you would still be successful, but I don't think you'd be nearly as successful if it wasn't for the rest of that kind of interaction and engagement. No, I, I, I agree. And it's something I've definitely tried to instill on the, on the, obviously Frank and I are tied at the hip, so he knows the deal, but every now and then I will, whether it's a warranty, you know, issue. Um, I mean, we're not going to get bent over. We're going to do what is right and fair to the customer. Meaning if you send a pack back, it's, you know, 16 years old with 14 holes in it that you bought on Craigslist. We're going to help you out, but probably not that, you know, this, you know, if you're a loyal customer, um, when I say loyal, meaning, you know, you, you've supported us and obviously on and on and on, we're going to bend over backwards for you. We're going to help you if you bought the pack 14 years ago on Craigslist. But I think what people have to understand is we look at it as a family and we want you to be part of the family. And we are going to do everything, you know, for you if you are part of that family. Buying something 70% off on Craigslist and then trying to, you know, bully me into giving you a free pack because you, uh, you know, whatever, wore a hole in it in 14 years. That's not being a family member. That's taking advantage of good people. But if you bought two or three packs from us and we've had a guy, uh, you know, well, if this just happened, uh, a guy was... Um, riding his dirt bike, one of the straps got caught off. He didn't buckle his pack up. And oh. one of the straps caught in the spokes and it ripped the whole back panel off the pack. Shit. Totally not our fault. Totally his fault. The dude's been cool as hell. That was his third pass. I said, Hey man, we got a factory second. I'll give to you. And he was like, Oh, like a cosmetic blemish. I said, yeah, yeah, man, it's fully functional. I said, just one of the tab loops is crooked. Oh shit. Yeah. We gave him a pack free of charge factory second. He didn't have to pay anything. That's being part of the family. Um, you know, I, I feel that there should be more of that. You know, obviously you got to stay in business, right? But there should be more of that. Like if I have bought, Oh, well, outdoorsman's tripods, right? I'm a big fan of theirs. Same. If I, 14 outdoor tripods told everybody to buy them. And then I accidentally run it over in the truck and they charged me shipping to fix it. That is being part of the family. 
Yeah. And if I bought it used, beat the living shit out of it, and ran over it with a truck and demanded them for a new one, that's being an asshole. That's not being part of the family. We try to treat you like your family, and we expect you to treat us the same way. I had a really interesting interaction with MSR just like three weeks ago. So I do this solo goat hunt. I buy the MSR Lightning Ascents, arguably the best you know, high country snowshoe you can, you can buy. I buy the 30-inch model, biggest ones you can get. I put the six-inch tails on them like I'm doing everything I can. I was in there for a week, and I literally destroyed these snowshoes. Now, to put things in context, at the time, I weighed 260, and my backpack with rifle was 81 pounds. So I was 341 pounds on these snowshoes, you know, and doing real miles in, in Stewart, British Columbia, like fucking madness. Yeah. I've never seen anything Fuck. like it. <laughs> and I, I literally broke the rings in three different places on my way out in order to get to the truck. I had them strapped together with Hilleberg tent pegs and Dyneema cord and duct tape made it all the way back to the truck. And I, sh- and I shipped them in for warranty and as kind of a joke, because in my opinion, okay, should they have fallen apart in a week? No. Do I have a right to expect a pair of snowshoes to hold 341 pounds? Also kind of not really. Like, you, you don't be an asshole. Do you know what I mean? And they, yeah. fo- they yeah. phoned me when they showed up and they're like, dude, what? Like, you drive over these things? And the hilarious thing was I self-filmed the whole hunt. I'm like, listen, man, I totally understand what you're saying. I actually, ha- I documented the degradation of these things over a week. I'll send you the fucking YouTube video. And he calls me back an hour later and he's like, that's crazy. I'm like, that's what I thought too, man. And I still recommend those snowshoes to people because they broke down, but they didn't break. Like there's a difference between a catastrophic failure that would have resulted in me being fucked in hell's half acre and just this kind of slow degradation of the snowshoes. And anyways, the, the conclusion of the story is that they kind of like unofficially said, listen, we're sending these back to you, but we're doing this under the assumption that you're kind of on your own liability from here. And to me, that is a totally fair resolution because I am, I'm taking those past the point where you have designed them to go. So I think at that point, you're kind of walking on your typical lifetime warranty, but they were good enough to replace in the first time. So I, you know, I still, I think that in my mind is like reasonable customer service. No, a hundred percent. And, and I, I look at things the same, you know, way, like if I wear a pair of ultra lightweight shoes in a place, I shouldn't be wearing them and I destroy them. I, other than feedback, cause I always do that, especially when people know my name and I'm like, Hey, not, not expecting a free set. I'm just letting you know, right happened so when people ask you um but you know the same we've, we've had people call in that left their tp out in the sun for a year right um it's seven years uh leaving it out way too much uh experienced a failure and i'm like <laughs> you know we usually expect a life expectancy you know is eight years or so with a, a heavily used shelter and immediately they're like this is fucking bullshit. Whatever. And I'm like, well, it's very clear. You don't leave shelters in the sun. The UV rays break them down. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, willing, I will give you 40% off for a, a new shelter. Uh, and they're like, literally, I will blast you on the internet. What? And I'm like, uh, you, as long as you tell the full story, I welcome you to. Yeah. Like, what do you, I'm like, do you really think if you get on and say, you've had a shelter for seven years and two months, 
for two of those years, you left it in the sun the entire year. And then I offered you 40% off a brand new shelter that I'm going to lose. Like, yeah. dude, that's pretty fucking solid customer service. If someone, if I drove a truck for seven years and said, Hey, the engine blew and they're like, you have a brand new one for 40% off. Yeah. I'll take that deal. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I like that. And that's again, family, right? We don't want to uh, take advantage of anyone. We're going to do what we feel is best. And we, we hope that people would do that to us as well. For the most part, we only get four assholes a year, almost guaranteed, and 4,000 to 6,000 studs, you know, amazing people. But, you know, occasionally we get, we do get a bad one, right? Like, you know, that's, for example, straps 400 pounds to the pack, rolls it down a cliff, throws it down, and then says, I can't believe this just didn't hold up. Yeah. Like, well, I can, you know, I can, fucker, it's not a 20-pound day pack, right, or a backpack, right? It's we try to stay lightweight and durable, but if you want one that can do that, we can make you one, but it'll weigh about 20 pounds. Yeah. And so again, family, right? Like you, you try to work with everyone. And I, I think we, we do, uh, I, I hope we set the standard for the outdoor industry for that. I think it's commonly like, you're never going to please everyone and nor do I think you should try, but I think it's commonly viewed. So moving forward, I'm kind of interested both in your own goals like what's the next five years look like for you? What's on the horizon? And then Kafaru as well. Um, where would you like to see that moving, you know, in the next five to 10? Um, well, uh, in Kafaru for, you know, we're, we're expanding already. We're, we're moving into a much larger, you know, building. Uh, you know, we're looking at our own clothing line. Uh, we're looking at starting a Kafaru trading post. So like selling MSR reactors, snowshoes, tripods, optics, things like that. Yep. Uh, and we're going to do these things. Um, the clothing company, we're working on that now just to see, uh, when I say working on that now, um, I don't really have time to mess with that, but, but, you know, my partner, you know, we're looking into it to seeing if we can do it or not and can it be done in the U S those type of things. Um, you know, expanding obviously and, and, you know, making a more shelters like our shelter line is kind of stuck for the last few years. So, new shelters, uh, new stoves, and trying to do it where we're not drinking through a fire hose all the time. So, you know, implementing those things when they're applicable and, and uh, you know, not, not rushing anything, making sure everything has been tested thoroughly. Um, you know, as far as myself, I plan on kind of doing what I'm doing for the next, you know, four, six, eight years. And then um, I think people will be surprised one day they'll wake up and I'll have no social media <laughs> Kaiser Soze that shit. What's that? Kaiser Soze that shit. Um, yeah. 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 Disappear. Um, and, uh, and, and just try, probably sleep better and, and live my life. Um, you know, as I said, I'm not complaining by any means of the life I have now. It's just, you know, eventually I'm going to be want to be left alone and, and just go hang out with my wife and go hunt and, you know, kind of do my own thing. And at that time, obviously younger generation, Frank, uh, Mackenzie Anders, the, the crew at Kafaru will take over and, um, you know, Chad and I, my, my partner will, uh, probably go hunt until we die. And, uh, you know, and I'll try to step out of it more. Yeah. Oh, nothing wrong with that, man. Okay. We're going to get into some gear stuff. Cause if I had you on my podcast and I didn't nerd out a little bit, I, my DMS would be filled with hate mail for the next two weeks. If that's cool with you. Oh yeah. No problem. Okay, so, and I'm super selfish, so I'm going to use this as an opportunity to, to go over my own shit. So, 
My next big hunt is my first sheep hunt. Been lucky enough to spend a lot of time in the mountains, forestry engineer for 15 years in BC, done lots of like mule deer and elk mountain hunts, but I've never been on a sheep hunt. So I recognize there's going to be a, a learning curve. It is like your stereotypical BC sheep hunt. Fly in 12 days, 12 days in. So we'll have a travel day on either side and be in the mountains for 12 days going with two other dudes, Northern Rockies, just to give you some context for some of the questions I'm about to ask. Right. Okay. So as of right now, my entire kit, this is, this would be no water, but this is everything. Food, rifle, clothes, except for what's on my back is coming in at 78 pounds. Now I do film as well. Um, and that also includes the weight of the pack. So theoretically I could just go in with that. I would, I would live, but I thought what would be helpful is I kind of have a couple of pieces that I'm considering taking out. And I thought maybe we could like walk through those and just get your opinion on those. Oh yeah, for sure. How many days again, did you say? 12 days. Yeah. And that's with food. Correct. Yeah. You're not going to get that pucker much lighter, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That's what, even if like, like you'll see once we go through the list, it's like maybe three or four pounds, but yeah, I got 25 pounds of food and 10 pounds of camera gear. So that's 35 pounds. So it's like, that's probably about as good. Now, one thing, and we, sorry, go ahead. No, no, we're dealing with the same problem where Frank and I are faced with the, we're looking at this pack and camera gear and food. It's like, well, fuck. Yeah. This is going to stop. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. There's no good answer. Um, Okay, so right now I run the Kafaru Fulcrum. Oh, and here's an interesting, I have a little bit of a bone to pick with you. So in my opinion, the Fulcrum is the best bag you sell because of how perfectly it packs down to day bag out of the wing pockets. But every time somebody asks for a recommendation on a Q&A, you recommend either the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag for similar types of circumstances. So I'm guessing the Fulcrum isn't one of your favorite bags, and I've always meant to ask you, what is it about that bag that just doesn't do it for you? Uh, it's really strappy and convoluted. Um, Fair. You know, it's the big, you know, and that, that's really the big one. And the, here's the thing with the, the fulcrum. Um, I made the video way too cool is, is one of them. <laughs> I made it simpler than it probably is. Meaning, you know, there's a lot of straps. Now yeah. I will say the people on the fulcrum and like it, much like yourself would never run uh, a different pack. No, but uh, you know, me personally, I ran it, you know, for the first year, obviously ran it through testing, uh, used it up in the NWT, all that. Um, great pack. It's just a pack that a lot of people, uh, don't need. I will buy, I will buy that. And it's a pack. It isn't, it is not a novice pack. Like you need to know what you're doing. Cause you could strap that thing down like if you're using the wing pocket compression straps to compress your main bag instead of the other compress, like there's a lot of mistakes you could make with that bag if you didn't know what you were doing. So I can see, especially when it's just like a generic Q and a, that probably is not a great go-to bag. Um, but for the more advanced guys, I really do love it. Like that ability. I've even gone on and, and thought about buying a secondary day bag. And I spent 20 minutes looking at them all. And I'm like, I just can't make the argument to do it. Cause when you collapse that internal chamber and strap the wing pockets down tight, 
it, it's just perfect, man. I fit my my outdoorsman's compact medium fits in the wings pocket. My harpy fits in the wings pocket. Like everything I need, it's just like it just works for me. Like it's a perfect bag. But okay, on to the question. I run the fulcrum with the tactical frame. Bought the tactical frame four years ago. We texted a little bit about this, but I'm kind of asking more for people listening. I would get the duplex light. You okay. drop weight right. <laughs> okay. So that, that, okay. You jumped right ahead. Like, I feel like your duplex has really come a long way. I think when I bought the tactical four years ago, I feel like there was a pretty strong argument for it back then. I think for the vast majority of people, even when people ask me now and they know I have the tactical, I tell them to run the duplex and I could shave almost a straight pound right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I agree a hundred percent that, that frame I worked on for since 2014, the one, the duplex light, I kind of got overruled initially, which long story, uh, when we came out with the hunting frame to not run our current duplex light. Um, and now, you know, other than actually when we first, we first ran carbon arrows across the top and I bet we had probably 20 of those come back where that carbon arrow broke. And okay. so what we did is put a, polymer uh cross member in there that's the same as like the glock uses the synthetic i'm not a gun guy whatever the hell it is so it, it's indestructible literally you can hit it with hammers right um you know it upgrade that that was one thing we changed but now you know i'm packing like serious pack outs probably 20 a year maybe 30 um you know half-ass pack outs where it's like a sheep that i pack a mile out you know down in texas or something quite a bit more than that um it's just it breathes better it's more comfortable it's lighter weight uh, I feel it carries heavy weight better and you get to save, you know, a pound, you know, depending upon what options you have, you know, you're going to save a minimum of a pound, maybe a little bit more than that. Right. Okay. So put that on my list. I need to order a duplex light. Um, next is a clothing question. So upper body, I'm going to be running the Sitka core lightweight and then the Sitka core heavyweight and then packed. I'm going to have the Kelvin active jacket, a stone glacier puffy and the Sitka dew point jacket. Do you think the Kelvin active jacket is a little bit overkill if I already have that stone glacier puffy, or do you think two insulation layers and this is, this is Northern BC in August. It could, we could see snow. It's not out of the, out of the norm. I, I think you would actually be fine with either one. Um, okay. Obviously, if it's um, not, even if you just get a squall, the Kelvin Active with all the other layers is fine. Um, you're not going to sit in glass for hours with that thing on, which is where the you know the, the Stone Glacier Puffy would come into play. I don't know. I mean, I, I personally um, would would probably opt for both myself or. Um, you know, dump the fleece, the, uh, the core heavyweight and, and do the Kelvin active. If you were going to drop one, it'd be the heavyweight or the Kelvin active. Oh, you know, that's one of interesting. Two- yeah. I hadn't thought of that because I was leaning towards the Kelvin for ex- exactly the, the, the rationale you mentioned sitting and glassing in the mornings, that stone glacier puffy is kind of a necessity. Like it's just, you're not going to get that restful insulation from the, from the Kelvin active. And I don't think Here's the thing. I fell in love with the Kelvin active on the stone hunt, on the, on the goat hunt in the middle of winter, because I'd never had an insulation layer that, that I could actually hike in. 
Because, I mean, you walk yeah. 10 steps in that stone glacier puffy, and you're going to be pissing sweat. Like, you can't even wear it to walk down the stairs. But the active jacket, you can all, you can hike in that. And it'll even get a little bit damp, but it evacuates moisture ex- extremely well. And it's still quite, it, the insulation qualities are still very impressive, even when the thing is soaking wet, which you can't say about the the stone glacier puffy. Like, if that thing gets wet, it's it's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing you can wear that Kelvin active as almost the grid fleece layer. Yeah. Uh, in, in purpose. So, you know, depending, um, obviously like, you know, different situations I have, I will have kind of the same, um, ideal you have, obviously I'm not running a stone glacier puffy, but I will do kind of the same thing where I will have that lightweight for when it's warm. Um, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, lightweight, um, uh, I guess that would be the core lightweight hoodie with the mask and I'll put the Kelvin active over that if it's cold, but I'm, um, um, you know, moving. Right. Yes. And then when I stop, I'll throw my other puffy on. And if it's really cold, I put the rain jacket on to block the wind. Um, you know, so it'd be really more of a choice of the Kelvin active in the fleece to me than, you know, the standard puffy and the Kelvin. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. And it's not like it really matters, but the core heavyweight is actually minorly heavier than the Kelvin active, like it's an extra ounce or something. That doesn't really make a big deal, but um, okay, that's definitely something. I think too, what I what I'm I'm gonna put those. I'm gonna try on those different kind of layering systems and go for a bit of a hike and see how they do. But I think where I'm leaning right now is leave the core heavyweight hoodie at home and go core lightweight hoodie, Kelvin active jacket, puffy jacket dew point jacket for up top. Yeah. Yep. I like that. Um, Oh, okay. So I have traditionally been an Alaska guide creations by no harness guy. I really like, I forget what they call it. I think it's the Kodiak cub with the max pocket, that little pocket that goes underneath and it's got the two little pockets on the side and the range finder pocket in front. And I just picked up, the NL uh, 12 by 42s. And I'm thinking it's probably going to be a bit of a tight fit. What what would you lean towards it for bino harness for a pair of 12s like the NL Pures? So I run my NL Pure 12s in a medium marsupial gear. Okay. And then I run both rangefinder pocket on the right side and then their little gear pocket on the left. Um, and I, I, you know... To me, um, either of those systems are are nice, right? Both of them make great systems. Um, I, I probably, I mean, I like the the marsupial gear a little bit better. Um, the magnet on it, I don't like as much because I nab so much. You know, I got to hold my arm way out when I'm running my compass. But I say the larger, which I can't even remember all the damn names of the Alaskan guide creations, but I would say the medium marsupial gear. Uh, would be, would be one, especially because I like the way that fit works with the range finder and the little cubby pouch on the left. Yeah. Um, yep. And then I would say the Alaskan guy would be one of my next choices. Okay. I was leaning towards marsupial. And, and to be honest, I love my AGC bag, but sometimes I just like to try new shit just to try new shit. And people are asking me often about different bino harnesses. So it's kind of funny because that was the one that was the one I was leaning to. Okay. Last sheep gear uh, question. So we're all going to be running 
individual tents. So three dudes, three tents. I'm bringing a Nyack. I'm not too sure what the other guys are bringing. I think one guy's got a Nalo. Anyways, we're going back and forth on a secondary tarp. Um, right now, I've got like a little one person. They call it the Hexamid pocket tarp from Z-Packs. It's like a little Dyneema solo tarp. But we're considering bringing something that we could fit three dudes under. You know, A, you could... Sp- you're not going to spike camp three dudes, but let's say we wanted a glass and it starts raining. Do you think the sheep tarp would be a good option for that kind of like you could let one guy spike camp in it? It's got pretty minimal weight and you could carry it with the three of you just to use as like a glassing shelter either for the sun or the rain. Or is there another piece that you would recommend for that kind of secondary shelter purpose? Uh there's one that we should have before your hunt that kind of fits the bill perfectly that we should have ready. Um, I probably should not be talking about that on the podcast. It's 10 foot by 10 foot squared and it weighs seven ounces. Um, what the f- so that one would be the one I'd probably suggest. The, uh, the sheet tarp is kind of a one to two man deal. Okay. Glassing with under that, especially if you're getting a side wind, someone's getting wet. It's doable, but it's not certainly not the, the best for three guys. Okay. Um, hold off a bit until we get the one I was telling you about. Okay, done. Um, okay, I'm just going over the rest of my questions. I want to be cognizant of your time. I got a handful of quickies from the Q&A I threw up on Instagram. You got a few more minutes to just do a quick, um, quick fire yep. Q&A. Um, okay, how's the Zolio working out? So far, so good. I mean, I would say that the which there was, it was actually funny, the argument, there was one guy that posted, hey, it's actually between 12 and $60 for the unlimited uh, in-reach plan. And, and I actually called in-reach, and I think it's up to 80 bucks for unlimited. Yeah, man, so when crazy. I posted that, posted my applicable use, not turning it off and on each, I run it all year unlimited because I use it so much. Yep. So unlimited for the Zolio is 50 bucks. Uh, and there's a, you know, for the Freedom Unlimited plan or whatever for inReach, it's somewhere mysteriously between 70 and 89. Well, whatever that is, I have no fucking idea exactly, but it's more than the Zolio. I don't want to argue about it because there's multiple different pricing. It's hard to find out exactly, but I do know what they told me when I called in, which is working closer to 80. So that's nice. The obviously, the I'm comparing this to the inReach mini. Uh, because the inReach and Explorer um, has mapping and shit and everything else, right? Yeah. So I think that the wheelhouse for this is if you already use base maps or Onyx, or you navigate off a map and like a 701 or a Garmin Phoenix or Instinct or whatever, um, you know, carrying that inReach Explorer is kind of like triple tapping. Like you, you've got multiple navigation devices and it's pretty heavy. So if you're going to nav with your phone or manually land nav, you need it just for the communication. Um, and especially if you're on a budget, that Zolio is pretty badass. Like, you know, I, I get where people came from with firing back a few different things of, oh, you can't use the, you know, you can't, there's no map on it. And my thing is, so you don't own base map or on X? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. We, I'm like, well, you got four eyes because you only look at it with two of them, right? You only got one. You know, you only need one, especially if you're running like a, a 701 or a, a, a standard GPS watch. So 
I, I, great so far. I got, I got no complaints. Okay. That was kind of just going off the specs. I'd kind of come to the exact same conclusion that the, the, the that secondary mapping backup is really the only, um, factor in favor of, of the inReach. And I am an inReach guy. I like it. And because I already own one, I'm not going to go drop another 400 bucks or whatever the actual cost would be. But for dudes in the market, I think that's a great secondary option. If you don't need that, that backup. Um, this next question is a bit weird. There's no context. Hike in the dark or use a red light? A hike in the dark or what? Use the red light. So what? I use the red or what? Um, now, you know, depending upon where I'm at, I'll just turn the, the white lens on and see, actually be able to see yeah. everything I want to. You know, when you're elk, especially high country mule deer is a little different because you're glassing them a long ways away. Um, but if you're hiking in cheap country, I always have the red lens on unless the illumination is just like 20% or something like ridiculous. Right. Right. Um, I'm a huge red lens fan. Um, it, it helps, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, whenever I can turn it off, I do, but if I'm in just pitch ass dark going through a boulder field or, uh, you know, the potential of getting, um, you know, adverse terrain, but adverse terrain in sheep country where I'm just trying to get up to a glassing point, uh, you know, before sunup. And I, I just can't see, I always use the red lens and that's for every animal. I don't give a shit, white tail, whatever. If, if it makes sense to use it, you know, why would someone want to turn one, injure themselves without the light or turn the white light on and blow shit out of the, you know, the basin or whatever. So I, I run the red lens whenever is applicable. All right. Makes sense. Any new bags being released soon? Uh, we've got one. I don't know, when are you posting this? <laughs> you will, you'll probably be up next week. You'll be up in a week from tomorrow. Um, so we, we, we have one that's, that's called, uh, Frank named it uh, Nargali, which is like a lightweight, um, it's, it's a simplified muskeg, except it has a water bottle, like stretchy nylon water bottle pouches on the left and right side. Um, it's kind of a mixture of a pack we used to make called the Argali yeah, and the muskeg. Uh, it's made out of X-Pack. Okay. It's really it's hunting pack. Uh, we also potentially have made a Nomad Fulcrum Striker combo. Uh, so it's got the wings of like the Nomad or the Fulcrum with the shelf like a striker. Um, we probably will not be able to keep those in stock. Uh, I think those will be ready in four weeks. Those are the two, you know, big ones. Okay. that's I'm really interested in that second one. Um, after a bear is shot, how soon will another bear be in the same spot? Yeah, I don't, man, I hate to answer that one. As many bears as I've killed, I'm not, uh, probably the bear expert fairly quickly from what I've seen, meaning a dominant bear, obviously not, you know, there's always other little piddly bears roaming around depending, but, um, if, if it's a dominant bear, especially if they're feeding on berries and shit quickly, um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, I've seen it to where literally we've, we've, we've dropped a bear in a, in a, especially like towards the rut. Um, we've dropped a bear in the rut, um, or getting close to rut in the next day. Uh, oh, there was a bear in there chasing sows. There was another pretty dominant bear. You know, the thing with bears is weird is they can smell whatever it is, eight miles. And so they smell a sow and they're not smelling a male. They're coming. Right. I mean, they're, they're, coming so depending on the situation i'd say quick but there's definitely better people to ask than me okay what's your favorite species 
specifically in British Columbia to hunt? Um, in British Columbia, mountain goat. It's <laughs> okay. a good choice. Uh, favorite wild game meat? Um, moose and, and bison, actually. Um, and if I had to pick between those two, it would be a tough one. Yeah, good. also good choice. Uh, this guy asks, uh, what's it like to kill a giant whilst in the throes of a streptocyphilitis infection? Oh, he screwed that up. It's streptococcusyphilitis. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Frank, not me. I think Frank came up with streptococcusyphilitis. Or oh. I might have, but I think. Oh, did I lose you? Yeah, I think you're back now. There we are, yeah. Yep, sorry. You know, I was saying, uh, I think Frank came up with the uh, streptococcusyphilitis thing. I <laughs> was pretty gnarly, man, your hand and all that on that. I, You know, it was funny. So I used to do layout on Haida Gwaii, which most people call the Queen Charlotte Islands. It's kind of like bordering on Alaska from the Pacific Northwest coast. And uh, one day... Um, we're walking through the forest. I'm doing my job and I go and take a piss and like, fuck, this is an embarrassing story. Literally like 10 minutes later, my crotch, it just lights on fire. Like from hogweed. It, 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 yeah. It was hogweed or, or there might've been another name for it. I can't remember what the, I'd have to look it up, but it was almost, and dude, I don't want to get too graphic on the podcast, but like, I guess I shook it a little too vigorously and my fingers got a little handsy you're, by that night. Oh, I'm dead, talking dead. everything. I'm talking scrow, like everything is like blisters. And I couldn't even get off the couch for a day and a half because any type of thigh movement was unbearable. And all I could do is would keep it like soaked in this like medicated salve. Like, and all that happened was I just brushed my hand on this piece of shit plant that I like, I've been working there for two years, never happened to me once. And then just happened to take a piss 10 minutes later and brushed my hand, you know, against the junk. And it would, that was insane. That's one of the most painful experiences of my life. I got lucky on that one. I just had it on my hand, but same thing. It was hogweed. There's a different name for it here, but yeah, I mean, I went through it for the 12, 14 days. We were back there. My hands just swelled up and got these huge blisters on them. But yeah, it's amazing, and it's a plant that doesn't, it's not something that sticks out. Uh, no, no, it just looks like a grassy weed, like you wouldn't even really yeah. think much of it. Yeah, like with, you know, leaves of three, let it be with poison ivy or whatever. Yeah, yeah there's no, you know, stay away from this. It just looks like a weed, but yeah, I got the same shit. Luckily, I didn't get it on my junk, though. Dude, brutal. Never again. Um, all right, last question, man. What's the rest of the year looking like for you? Obviously, I'm sure some hunts are kind of up in the air, with the border still being the way the border is, but, but what do you got on the books? So, um, uh, spring black bear in Idaho, um, then, um, caribou in Alaska, mule deer in Colorado, elk in Colorado, you know, some of this is if we draw tags or not. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Alberta mule deer, uh, Colorado, um, I got two, I'll have, should have two Colorado mule deer tags, uh, antelope in Colorado. Um, I'm going to probably go kill another Buffalo, which isn't much of a hunt. Um, mountain goat in Alaska, uh, and then whitetail in Oklahoma and, uh, Texas. Uh, and then 
I'm forgetting some shit in the middle of all that, man. And then I'll guide for Scotty for mule deer and, uh, um, for our dad, uh, you know, down in Texas. So I'm sure I'll kill some hogs and our dad or mule deer down in Texas, but, um, you know, down South in Southern Texas, but that that's the bulk of it. Um, I think I'm going to have 50 to 70 depredation doe tags to help fill on, on one of the properties I have permission on. So that'll be fun in Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the general plan. Although I think I'm probably forgetting four or five months on there, but pretty busy. Yeah, man. That's a good year. That's a good year. All right, Aaron, I want to thank you for your time, man. I greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate everything you do for the community and keep making badass gear. And yeah, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. No, no problem at all, man. Thanks for having me on and uh, I'll keep in touch, but uh, yeah, good luck with the season. Will do. All right. Cheers, man.